Well, greetings and welcome back to Bombadil's Porch. It's good to be with you again here with Nate Larmore and Caleb Klontz as we sit three dads on the porch discussing God's world and trying to understand how we fit into what God is doing. It is quite a story that's not just playing out in front of us, but uh, that we are all in fact a part of. And uh, we'll try to get through a number of interesting things today, ranging all the way from the frontiers of our country to the frontiers of technology and the future of virtual spaces to llamas saving us from a great medical disaster. I was looking forward to you reminding me what we were going to talk about because honestly, I couldn't remember because we talked like about 12 possibilities. We did. I was like, which ones is he going to There's a ginormous and, screen uh, behind you yes, with them on yeah, it. Though. but I got to turn, I know, you know, on I my know. neck. I can't, I can't yeah. see it. So that's where we'll go. We may also get into some interesting data anomalies, the relationship between two-day shipping and weed. Ooh. And possibly Ooh. even the remains of an event that may harken back to biblical times. So oh, we might get it all in. We will see. Wow. You never know. There is a number of things on the docket, but we'll start by asking this question. Does it, a nation need borders? Was the question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was going to ask a different yep, question. That, oh, you were? What were you going to ask? Did you notice I, I trimmed my beard considerably? That was like, nobody said <laughs> oh, anything all morning. No, that's true. I cut like an inch and a half off this you, thing. You did. Wow. It was getting all wispy and gross I down there. I feel bad for not noticing now. Yes, thank you. It, well, it, it's it all looks right. very nice. Uh, what did you do with the trimmings? Did you like just right send down the drain? Into like a shirt made or into like stuff? I just put them down the drain. So I should <laughs> have asked <laughs> what what is a what is a beard without borders? That would have been a, a better beard. question. Oh, nice. right. Sorry. Like that. Back to the nation without borders. There is, a kingdom. Does look there is a nice. kingdom without borders. Oh, anyway. yeah? Yeah. Anyway. All right. That is a good question, though. Um, a nation, What would be an example of an... Okay. So, Chris, this great question. Clearly, you're referring to our southern border right. uh, here in the to, U.S. I think it's the southern border, right? The Canadians massing? I don't think they're massing <laughs> yet. The, Quebec, that, that, the Quebecians, the Quebecians are, are invading. piling up on the border. Yeah. Viva la revolution! <laughs> if, if we were not quite so close on their heels in a lot of areas, we probably would have more Canadians massing at the border. <laughs> but they see that we're basically heading where Canada is. So. Gotcha. What's the trouble? It's too much trouble to go south and then end up with the same thing six it months is, later. It is. It's, a, it's <laughs> probably a little more than six months, but... Uh, uh, a year or two, maybe. So this is a great, this question goes back quite some time and I, and I'm amazed it's even a question, but there is, I guess, safe to say the democratic party for quite some time has felt like the Southern border is more of a metaphor <laughs> than something real. Um, and now, now that we kind of have that sort of thinking put into practice, we have an absolute disaster down there. Thousands, tens of thousands mm-hmm. coming across every month. The um, Rio Grande has become the Via Grande. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, we've got 15,000 that were stuck under that underpass. Right, up to 17,000. Is it? Yeah. And and you've got you've got this at least from one of the political parties, this sense that we ought to just let everybody in, which, you know, I heard an argument once that I thought was interesting. That was if we didn't operate one of the world's largest welfare States, which we do. uh, And I don't mean just people on welfare. I mean, that just, we, we really do have, have lived in a, in a 
a welfare state here in the U.S. for a very long time with all sorts. I mean, two thirds, if not three quarters of the federal budget is not for defense and things. It's for social programs of all kinds, um, including some important ones like Social Security, Medicare, those sorts of things. But that is part of it. But if we didn't operate a welfare state, you, you wouldn't be such a big deal to let people come in and out, assuming they've been vetted for criminal history and medical issues. You know, what if they were carrying a, a, a uh, dangerous virus of some kind or something? Um, and I'm thinking, I'm, I'm again, mm-hmm. these are the things that a border kind of comes in handy. It defines what you're about, defines where you are, defines um, the cool map that every schoolroom <laughs> has on the wall. <laughs> Most at least, yes. <laughs> well, is there an example of a nation that doesn't have borders? There's examples of nations that don't have effective borders. I mean, there's examples of nations, for example, in the EU that have open borders, right? So, you know, there's no checks. You're free to move around. But the EU itself the has EU. A, ultimately a boundary somewhere. Exactly. Well, you would think. In the same way that, you know, our states have borders. Seahawks except nation. That, except there, when something something happens... Like if there's some sort of a threat possibility or something like that, they still lock up the border. I mean, they, yeah. all of a sudden there's guards at the border crossings and you have to stop and show your papers. And yeah. So even and there's even also there. a difference between an open border and like come here, live forever and don't, you don't have to tell us you're here. Yes. I'm yeah, guessing oh yeah. you, you yeah, went we, over to Italy. They oh were yeah. just like, well, we have open borders. So as long as you come in from the EU somewhere, you can just sort of set up shop and yes. do your, whatever you want to do. You can travel around with your passport, but you better know where you're a resident and what's, you better have your passport on you at all times. What's weird about the southern border thing is some people don't care about the border for some people, but they care about it for other things. Like if, if Mexico rolled five or six tanks out of Juarez across the border and said, Hey, we're going to hang out on your side. They, they would have a problem with that. I think, um, they I'd c- hope so. Maybe. <laughs> hope so. I'd, I'd hope I'm so. not sure. I'm not sure if they uh, would. When I fly into the U S I'm not flying, you know, into the Southern border, but any kind of a state enough of I've been, I've been overseas. There's a, there's a very expensive, large area in every airport that they check your passport. Do you belong here? I find it interesting. There's so much attention paid to you at the airport, but apparently down at the border, uh, much less attention. I, I'd hate to suggest a wall because apparently walls are evil. That's what I was told. Ooh. Do you need a wall <laughs> to define <laughs> your border? The White House does, right? Wait. It does. Yeah. It's very hard it, to get it, close it needs, to it now. It needs a wall. Yeah. Buckingham Palace does as well. So, so let, let's back off maybe a couple steps and, and get a, a start at this because I think it's an interesting question. And ultimately it actually relates to even things like your family mm-hmm. and how you understand not just the state, but you understand every, every sphere that God's created. Should there be borders around those things? Should there be boundaries around those things? Or should we have an open approach where we're always willing to accept whoever and whatever comes our way and enfold them into the institutions that God's created? So, Let's say you've got, you know, a thousand people that want to come into your country. And let's say 10 of them say, I want to come into your country because I hate your country. I want to infiltrate your your infrastructure and blow everything up. <laughs> you know, I think in general, I there are very few people who are not terrorists that have already gotten here that would want them in. Right. So yeah, I, nobody I wants would be, to be blown up. Yeah. There'd be general consensus that that's not what we're looking for. But let's say that the vast majority of people on the border 
again, just as a thought experiment, um, were uncontested and no debate, uh, people from, from sympathetic situations, people who were facing economic ruin at home and or, or significant hardships and their genuine desire was to come to this country and to make a better life for themselves and for their children. Let's say that you knew for a fact this, this group of people was there for that. Uh, would it ever be moral and ethical to tell people in that situation, go home, you're not allowed to come into this country? Well, you inserted the word ever, so the yeah. answer is yes. Why? When? How do you... At what point is it right to look at a person who is simply seeking to be able to live live a life that is not possible where they come from and say, not for you. So there's a, this is a hard one for the Christian. It is, because, but it's a really important one. <laughs> the Christ, the Christ, but here's what's interesting. At an individual level, God has called us to charity and generosity. Mm-hmm. And, and I firmly believe we ought to do that. Is, but I don't think that's a government dictate. There's roles to be played. And so a government... Our government's not to be charitable and compassionate. Uh, I would um, it's not their primary purpose. Their roles to be just, to be, um, to be, uh, truthful. Uh, but here's, here's the challenge that mm-hmm. I, I think, and maybe, maybe some of our listeners would, would have this as well. Why is it the responsibility of our government to take, I mean, I, I, Why is it the responsibility of our government to essentially bring in whoever comes from anywhere in the world because they're looking for a better life? Everyone's looking for a better life. Europe ran into this problem Um, during uh, during the Syrian war or civil war. I mean, there were millions Mm -hmm. of immigrants coming up and most of them, as statistically proven out, most of them were not from Syria. Most of them were from Africa, various other areas, making their way into Europe. And the and the the rationale, though, for all of them was, well, we've got to. They're seeking better life, and many of them from a war torn area where, like you, if you stay there, you die. I totally, I think it's one of the reasons America has a great history of of creating ways for people like that to find a place here. But if you just don't like the economic conditions in your country. You think they're better here. I don't know if that's a real good reason. That sounds terrible maybe to some people, but I look at it as a very practical reality. Um, fact is, why not try to change where you are? So anyway, tough one, I think. But I think, mm-hmm. but I, I, you know, it's tough because I think the the common sense of it doesn't feel good. But suddenly, to your point, if you took took the generosity to an extreme and you just said, okay, everyone come um, you have a, you have a real problem there. True. It's not scalable. And, and I think ultimately it becomes on a large scale and loving, and, and maybe this is an analogy that's helpful. Suppose, let's say, Caleb, you've got your, your home there in your neighborhood. I know you've got some great neighbors, but let's say you were just surrounded by, uh, by families with, pretty bad parents Mm -hmm. Uh, and they, they ran the scale from abusive parents to, um, to just kind of negligent parents. 
Incompetent mm-hmm. parents. Incompetent, not malicious, but just defective. And uh, and you you come out one day and, and there's a kid who comes running up to your yard and he's like, man, I've seen you and your wife. You love each other. Your, your home seems so happy. Uh, I want to be your kid. And you say, well, my heart's big enough for everybody. So um, if you, as soon as you make it across my my driveway here, you make it onto my property, you can be my kid. And then the word gets out, and the next day you've got three more kids on on your on your front lawn saying, "We're here. We want you to be to be our our parents." All right. And after a while, you start to get some of the other parents knocking on your door saying, "Hey, excuse me, <laughs> you know." Um, those are my kids. And he said, no, they, no, they made it here. And I accept everybody who's here. They're all part of my family now, and I'm going to defend them. You're not allowed to have them back. Um, I think it, it should not surprise you when eventually, you know, the social services shows up on your door. Well, let alone the fact that I couldn't support them any problem. And you get carted off to jail. Yeah, because you've done several things. One is you've taken your home and put it into a position where it can no longer be the place that attracted them in the first place. Mm. And to accomplish that, you have also made the definition of family, not just for yourself, but for everybody else, be be meaningless and without consequence. And and that is that is terrible because what you'll eventually have happen is you will have people who move into your neighborhood just so they can send their kids to you. Mm. Right. You will then have incentivized the downfall of other families. And when we've seen that happen in, in other programs, like, um, you know, with, with the rise of single parent homes and things like that, where we've actually incentivized the downfall of, of, of the men in particular taking responsibility for children that they bring mm. into this world. And so that is a factor I think that doesn't often get taken into account, um, when you see the tragedy of a, of a hurting family on the border that wants in, uh, from just a humanitarian level, that is tremendously sympathetic. But it's also reflective of a pattern that if that pattern is not addressed, that family is going to be a drop in a humanitarian bucket of, of hurt and mm. pain and suffering. And you, you can't fix that problem by erasing national identity. There's another issue here too. Just letting people in. Well, I guess there are two issues mm-hmm. at play. Let me focus on the first. The a government, especially this government, this country, the way that theoretically we used to be a constitutional republic, we're not anymore. We're kind of a bureaucratic run monstrosity in some ways, but Oof. Um, different different subject. Interesting subject though. Um, but going back to the, it's a government of this people. And, and so our government has a responsibility to its citizens, theoretically. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I think there, there's been a long history here, a wonderful history of, of organized, and I use that somewhat loosely, there's always exceptions, but organized immigration, purposeful immigration, mm-hmm. yep. and, and welcoming in, cert, there's certain numbers that we let in every year. And, um, and so it's controlled, it's methodical, but something's happened in the last, uh, who knows, generation. It's been true since, since I was a kid, probably before mm-hmm. there's this weird misplaced virtue of, of poverty and need. And like the needier someone is the more virtue they hold. And, 
I just don't know that that has any place in policy. I think that's, again, I go back, I struggle. There's, mm-hmm. there's a decision to be made personally in my, in my affairs and, and with my community right. and, and showing generosity. The church certainly plays a big role, but government does not need to play the same. In fact, it shouldn't play the same role. Um, and I just think that's, that's where things have gone astray is government, government somehow has been, mm-hmm. the expectations of it have just grown to be everything. Yeah. Um, that's, that's one issue. I think the other big issue we've got is, is there seems to be this sentiment of just let everyone in. Um, they're villains in there. They're not all villains. Uh, no. one, one former famous politician famously, uh, described some people <laughs> as bad guys and he, and, uh, he was labeled instantly and permanently for all time to be a terrible yes, racist, but because he must then hate everybody. It's, it's absolutely illogical and and farcical to pretend that out of a group of any 100 Mm. people that all 100 are virtuous right uh that's just not reality and so the whole purpose of knowing who's coming and vetting who they are why they're here Mm -hmm. are there reasons for being here actually valid can we verify their situation was dire uh can we verify that the these masses of folks on the border Absolutely. Are, are many of them probably in great need? Sure. But just because someone's holding a child, is it their child? I mean, we have histories of just, just there's so it, it could be someone else's child they grab. Um, yeah. Are, are people in here part of the drug cartels that are constantly pushing poison across our borders? There's so many questions to be asked. And this is the purpose of a government. Well, to, and also beyond that, just how many people are coming over? Because the cartels are still the ones that run the border crossing, the illegal border crossing. Mm. And so even if you get to this country and you are coming just to seek a better life, they're going to find a way to make sure by the time you cross that border, you still owe them $5,000 for something. Or more. Yeah, right? some of these debts that are And then how are you going to pay that off? And the answer to that question is usually criminal and and or often tragic. Yeah. The other thing that stinks in all this, too, is we have law enforcement agencies mm-hmm. that fall under the executive branch, by the way, Yep, that are tasked with, I mean, there's Border Patrol, there is CBP, California Border Patrol, there is Homeland Security that's in charge of the borders. You see their vehicles uh, around here even sometimes. Mm-hmm. It says DHS Border Security, right? These are their jobs. And when they do their jobs... If the, if a, like, for example, this week, um, there was an accusation that Border Patrol, who were on horseback because people are crossing where vehicles can't get. So they're on horseback trying to stem these, these people just that we don't know who they are from running mm-hmm. right into the country. Right. There was an, a photograph taken at a certain angle. And you know that, and you know, because of the way these cameras work, you know, it's, yeah. <laughs> that was one photograph out of 50 and they picked mm-hmm. the one and they picked that frame and any, and I'm not a horse. I don't know anything about horses. Um, well, I know a little bit about them. They've got four legs, I, I mm. think. Yep. So far so good. But uh, I don't think about riding them, but I, I have seen, I have seen me a cowboy film or two. Oh, so a little equestrian expertise. I've seen some horseback riding on the silver screen. And so I do <laughs> know when people are riding, they have reins and sometimes they, I've also seen some professional horse races like Kentucky Derby. Oh. And those jockeys have that little stick that they, they are whipping that make this, this horse go faster. So when I see it, saw the image, it was obvious to me the total moron when it comes to horse riding. Oh, that's the reins. 
But no, somebody said it looks like they're whipping immigrants. Now, by right. the way, I, I love that phraseology and you saw it everywhere. It's evocative of a bygone era. It <laughs> yeah. brings to mind. That's that's the way they're covering their butts by knowing that what they're talking about is not actually what that picture depicts, right. but still wanting to plant that racist flag. Right. Now, now I'm totally open. Maybe one of these guys did hit somebody with the reins. I don't know. And if that's what the picture showed, then we should say, but you know, but that's show not it. cool. <laughs> You shouldn't be running around whipping people. So you got no. these folks. Arresting, yes. Whipping, no. You've got these folks you've given a job to do. And then when right. they are doing it or trying to do it, uh, now now we're, I think some of those guys are actually on leave now pending a federal investigation. Mm-hmm. It just seems like, it seems like a real farce down there. Well, so back at to least your- they're finally, at least the feds are finally interested in what's happening at the border. <laughs> I think it's the first time I've heard the vice president actually make a statement about it this week. And it was about the the so-called whipping. Oh, yeah. And it was so funny, too, because everyone gets on there and, you know, I it, the, the head of Homeland, too, I think he, te- he was making a statement about this. This is not our values and all this. And by the way, everybody agrees. Yeah. Like, no, like, does anyone disagree that that we shouldn't be whipping people? The fact, but the real question well, is, did it happen? I say the only problem with that sentence <laughs> exactly. is that this, like there is no this. This <laughs> didn't happen. Oh, and it's in about, that picture. Again, yeah, we all disagree. Do things happen on the border, probably on both sides that are not okay. Yeah, probably. But that picture is a lie. Did you see too Maxine Waters' uh, famous um, what what? intellectual from California, shall we say, a uh, life, lifelong politician. She had a statement. Again, she was overt about it. Like, this is oh, no. disgusting. It reminds us of, of, of slavery. And I'm thinking, not really. I mean, slavery was horrible, no. but people were like being contained. They, you know, this is <laughs> everything about it. So it gets, it, yeah. it's, it goes back to, we live in this time of in some ways, wonderful convenience, but just such stupid rhetoric. Well, yeah, we have to cancel all the jails because it's evocative of a bygone era. Oh, man. Um, Yeah, but this this doesn't go back to American slavery. This goes back to the Garden of Eden. Mm. (laughs) Like People Mm. have been murdering people and doing bad things for a long time. Yes. So do your question of, well, I think it was, does a nation have to have a border or something like that? I think, I think like a real nation does. But like Seahawks Nation, you know, those kinds of things, <laughs> um, Hawks, uh, Raiders Nation, all that. you know, those are, I, again, we, we, we water down our terms by yeah. using them in marketing ways. But even then, can you be part of the Seahawk Nation if, what's another sports team? Bears? The Bears. Sure. sure. If you're Bear. a Bears fan, can you be part of the Seahawk Nation? They'd probably say that's a contradiction of terms. It's true. Even though there's not a physical border, there is an ideological border, even when we use it metaphorically. Mm. And otherwise, you do, if we're we're the football nation. Oh, really? What does that mean? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> you could like sports, not like sports, like football, not like football. <laughs> it's just a word that applies to who? I don't know. What are your responsibilities to them? None. What do they owe you? Nothing. Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. Okay, now, now you're... Now you are insane, right? Now now it's gibberish. And that's why nations need need borders. And it's not just physical borders. Yes, yes. But there is, there needs to be physical borders simply because it defines the boundary of your responsibility. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. If there's a big mess, is that a American mess or somebody else's mess? 
And if it's an American mess, then we have a responsibility to deal with it. If it's somebody else's mess, we may have a moral responsibility to call attention to the mess. But that's somebody else's mess that they, that they have the responsibility to clean up. And we need to clean up our messes first. Right. And so the borders define the sphere of responsibility. And that's why they are so critical. And to ignore a border is to ignore your responsibility. There's also, as we're going towards, there's also other kinds of borders. There are certain ideological borders as well. If you want to come into Germany and you want to establish, you know, your own little uh, communistic empire in the middle of, of Germany, they're going to say, no, that's, this is Germany. <laughs> Chaz, could we call it Chaz? They're going to take a dim view of Chaz. The Capitol Hill. A very <laughs> dim view of Chaz. <laughs> Right. You're going to say, no, that's not what this sovereign nation is all about. And, you know, throughout history, there's been all kinds of kerfuffles between how do, does religious conviction and political affiliation, national loyalty and ethnic loyalty, how do all those things work out? But they all have to interact with each other because these are all things that have different kinds of borders that envelope different group or envelop different groups of people. And at some point you have to say, can these different these different groups be compatible in this place called whatever your country is. And, and so to just throw your border open and say, anybody can come who wants to do anything at any time. No, right. We're not going to have America be run like a caliphate and it still be America. That's you, not possible. You've, uh, as usual, Chris, you've eloquently, I like that, you know, it defines where your realm of responsibility in, in many ways ends or begins mm -hmm. And uh, the other thing, too, is uh, the future of America. You know, we've got, in, uh, in terms of ideological borders, what does it mean to be an American? That is right. a real, that, that is a huge question mark right now. And um, and to some people... It's We're trying to make it a question mark. <laughs> yeah, well, it used <laughs> yes. to be very clear. It used to be a lot more of a declarative sentence. But now, it, now you've got, it's <laughs> so. bizarre to me to hear politicians basically say it's patriotic to tear your country down. Yeah. Uh, no. We're America. We yeah. like the Constitution. We, <laughs> mm -hmm. You've no. also got... It turned all these things into interrogatives. Just this week in particular, I heard so many messages coming out of political mouths. And as and again, just the start of that means you're dealing with people that are liars. I've got no respect <laughs> for the political apparatus because mm. it's just so Oof. it's proved itself to be such a farce. Um, and everyone's like, yeah, there are good people in there. It's mm. like, well, that doesn't justify <laughs> the apparatus. Mm. Right. Mm. But um, this, I mean, you have people basically saying because people want to come here, we have a moral responsibility and it's like, hold on a second. That's weird. It has shows no respect for what you just described. There is a border for a reason. Mm -hmm. Government's responsibility begins and stops based on the border or interests that may impact that border, you know, national, mm -hmm. right. international foreign interests. But, um, but then there's also this, these same people, these same talking heads seem to think that once someone arrives here, that makes them an American. Regardless right. no. of their ideological views, regardless of if they want to destroy this country, regardless if they're here to tear it down and remake it into a, you know, into some kind of a totalitarian authoritarian. No, there, there is something beyond just be where you physically live that makes you an American. And I think that's something that's under threat right now. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and on purpose, because there are, we have that watershed divide right now in our country ideologically and a a significant percentage of our country wants to be something that it 
that this country has never been before. And so that's the battle we're fighting internally. And, you know, different forces are trying to pour gasoline mm. <laughs> on that conflict. But going back to the analogy family, there's, there is just a massive difference between a family that says we're willing to adopt. Right. And so if, if you're somebody who says, Hey, I would like to be adopted. This is who I am. I want to be a part of your family, understanding what your family is about. And then you go through a process and you adopt them and you take responsibility for them. And that's known. And that's, a, that, that's an honorable and admirable thing. Mm-hmm. And that is what an immigration policy should be. It's a way for a country to adopt people from other countries now, in a way that's known, defined, where responsibility is taken and given, and where then that person becomes a knowing part and, an, and a willing part of what that country represents. It's very different for a family to just throw their doors open and say, anybody who happens to be in the family room tonight gets to call themselves part of our family for as long as they feel like. And they then get to vote in whatever parents they want. (laughs) Even if they're in the living room burning things. I mean, it doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. You might want to build this house. You might want to burn it down. But uh, if you're in, if you happen to make it into the family room, you get to decide who you want the parents to be, what this family is going to be all about going forward. That adoption analogy, I think is very helpful uh, as is usually the case with, with a good analogy. And, you know, you, you've actually got personal experience in this realm. Yeah. When you, when you, when you adopt a child, not only do you take on responsibility for their welfare their care, their mm-hmm. nurturing, their upbringing, but then you also have an expectation of them as you raise them that they take mm-hmm. on yes. a responsibility and a care and a concern mm-hmm. uh, to the family. And yeah. if you, if you had, and I guess I may be carrying a step further, if, if you had some of those, you know, those kids back to, you know, Caleb's kids are lining up on his driveway to come in. If some of them are standing there with knives and clubs <laughs> and gasoline and matches because they want to, they can't wait to get in there and burn your house down. You probably don't adopt them. And, and w- there are elements in our society that would say that is bigoted. And I would argue you're insane. Mm-hmm. Um, because they said, no, we have a responsibility to take the, those people in and give them an environment that, that, you know, would, would change their hearts. And I just, there's just such a naivety and actually right. going a step further to a total disregard for the rest of the family that's already here. And, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I just, it, it goes back to of all colors of yes. all socioeconomic classes and we're, you know, just because of the world we're living, that's not dog whistle <laughs> for no. it disregards white people. It disregards Ev- all the people everybody for yeah. whom this country has a responsibility. Mm-hmm. And it underscores a tremendous amount of hypocrisy. It It's galling to watch reports of dead people scattered around the deserts of our southern border mm-hmm. as cartels ca- just toss aside human life like it's nothing. As long as they got the cash in their pockets. That's all they've cared about. And brought the drugs in. That right. Running. Yeah. And to watch our country so delicately try to avoid offending the sensibilities of, of the Mexican government and saying, you guys got to shut this down because people are getting killed or we are going to have nothing to do with you economically. Mm-hmm. We will destroy your country economically if you destroy your people on our border. And, and to watch our, so our top 
elected government officials in foreign countries giving interviews saying things like, yes, we know China is engaged in actual genocide of massive people groups, Mm. but because of the bigger picture of climate change, we just got to figure out how to get along. Mm. Right. And to realize you do not care about Mm -hmm. people. You don't. You are a misanthrope. Mm. You hate people. You must love something else. And you're willing to use the people card as an empathetic, get power free card, but you do not love people. I've got a great, uh, this reminds me of a great conversation. Uh, one that I enjoyed is as much as it will probably sound irritating. Oh no. <laughs> Sitting with a friend, uh, we go back years, um, chatting with them at some point in the last couple of months. And, and we, he's big into movements activism, social movements. Okay. Now we're close enough friends where I could tell him, I said, I hate movements. (laughs) I said, I like people. I like individuals, but I can't stand movements. I said, because they tend to generalize everything and everyone's on board and they don't really accomplish much. I said, and I said, this might be the reason that you might call me a conservative. And I, one of the, one of the characteristics of a conservative versus a, 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 well, I think he would have called himself a liberal at one point, but I think he's a leftist. Um, one difference and, and his response was, I love movements. I can't stand people. I said, I know, I know. I said, but ironically you care about me, right? Cause you go out of your way to help me and I've gone out of my way to help you. Mm-hmm. And he agreed, but I did. It's so interesting. I think that as a Christian, bringing this back to our, our, the highest citizenship that the three of us have, um, which is our citizenship in heaven. Uh, which, mm-hmm. by the way, doesn't mean we're not good Americans. I think part of being a good citizen to the Lord is being a good testimony mm-hmm. uh, within your civic your civic government. Yes, um, and we're called to that. The scriptures are clear about that. To any, honor and any pray righteous for government should want as many Christians in their in their land as possible because they will be the most productive members of society. Good they should citizens. be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They should be. Yeah. But I think as as believers, we have a tendency. At least we ought to care about individuals in a meaningful way. And I think, and I think that's the kind of generosity that actually costs you something Mm. because you can't say, Oh, I care about, I care about these couple of kids in my neighborhood. Their parents are going through a hard time. You can't say you care about them, but then say, Oh yeah, yeah. I'm not going to, no, I couldn't, I couldn't drive them to church. It's too inconvenient. Or I couldn't bring them to No, no, because if you, let's put it this way, if your actions don't match what you say, then you don't care. What's interesting though, is I think a lot of modern people love to say, I care about groups because it requires you to do zero (laughs) and you get a little (laughs) virtue point or maybe a little boost, personal boost about what a good person I am. And it costs you nothing. Black lives matter. Hashtag me too. Right, right. And and so I put the bumper sticker on my car, but I've done nothing to help an actual person. Right. And, and I think that's one of the frustrations of modern life is virtue has become so cheap and hollow. Mm. And, and you know what? The people that are playing the game know it because they realize, and that's probably why they, you know, fill up their time with things that I don't have to really think about just how cheap and just how at the end of the day, hollow and barbaric, my sense of virtue is. Um, anyway, uh, boy, that, that sound, it came out meaner than I was thinking it would, but I, <laughs> but I do think there's some truth to it. It's as a heavy topic. As a Christian though, <laughs> when we say I care, mm-hmm. 
how, okay, who do you care about? How would they know? Uh, you know, we talk, you know, is guys, this is, this is probably convicting for all of us because it's good. It's good self-reflection. Mm. I care about my community. Okay. Who, who in your community? Yeah. Um, because, and then, okay, good. Now that you're thinking, maybe, maybe a, a face just came to your mind. How does that person know? Oh, they just, they just, they know. No, they don't. Because action is everything mm. and talk is cheap. So going back to nations, I, I, I think the same is true. We, we kind of are in this political season of decades, by the way. It didn't just start with Obama. didn't just start with Trump. No. Certainly yeah. didn't start eight months ago or nine months ago with President Biden. But um, mm. we're in this political generation, maybe we can call it, where it's all about the rhetoric and the optics. And actually rhetoric and optics, while they have value, are really empty if if you don't have the action to back them up. Right. Because mm. you can have the same problem and the same heart problem can manifest itself on both sides of the border issue. You can have people that want to build a wall to keep all them out. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, who? These are people. Right. Uh, and you can people say, well, no, don't build the wall because we need all of them to be able to be loved and come in. And and both of them can miss the actual point of what is the responsibility that our nation has to to all the people, its people, to other nations' people, and how is that going to work in a healthy, successful way? Uh, and and as, as Christians, how do we step in and help those that we've been put alongside of um, starting with our closest circle, have we taken responsibility for ourselves? And I do not mean that in the like, do you have enough me time in your life? Right. I mean, you mean that in the Jordan Peterson? Well, you mean in a biblical way, in a but, biblical way. are you self-controlled? Kinda, he's kind of borrowed this from biblical. Yes. Are you self-controlled? Yeah. yeah. Um, have you taken responsibility for who you are so that you then are able to take responsibility for your family? Uh, if you sacrifice your family in the church context, we talk about this all the time. If you sacrifice your family and on the altar of ministry to others, that's sinful. Uh, and you take, so do you take responsibility for the, the defined sphere of your family for your neighbors? And then you work out from there. That's what individuals do. Mm-hmm. And then nations need to have the same principle, but they just do it at a different scale. They start with their nation, then their bordering nations. And then, and then they can extend and seek to be a blessing to the world to the degree that they're capable of. But you have to start with those spheres. And we're just seeing a callous disregard for that. And it is getting people killed. Like mm-hmm. this, mm-hmm. this does have blood on its hands. This failure of taking responsibility is, is leading to the actual tragedy everybody is pretending they're trying to avoid. Mm. You're, you're, you're t- talking about credibility. Uh, and again, this is where we can get practical, right? And, and that's why this is mm. so great thing about Christianity. It's the great thing about Christianity. It's the hard thing about Christianity um, because it is a, it is a faith. It is a faith that is based on action. And by that, I mean, Jesus, our faith in Jesus doesn't just mean, okay, now I'm good with Jesus. Jesus requires action on our part. Uh, and by action, I mean, obedience to him commitment to him and his word, submission to his sanctifying, his ongoing good work. As Paul said, we're in Philippians on Wednesday night, so it's fresh in mind. Um, uh, chapter one, verse six. Yeah, but that manifests itself in, in fruit and not flesh-based, nate-produced fruit. 
submission to the Holy Spirit that results in Holy Spirit God fruit in my life. And fruit isn't just me wandering around feeling like I'm holy. There's a fruit. If you think of the fruits of the Spirit, um, a good fruit. Yes, fruit. (laughs) (laughs) Now, is it fruit plural? It's singular. (laughs) The fruits? The Spirit produces Uh, one fruit, a nine-flavored fruit. If you... (laughs) That makes it truly unique. If you look at those, a number of them, a number of them are outward facing. You know, I'm filled with love. For myself. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I have peace. With who? You know, I have love. For who? Yeah. Uh, I have, you know, joy might stand, you know, because that's with who? Joy. But you just go down through the list and it's a list of, it's a list of, of essentially actions. And and not just feelings, so uh, I, I go back to you know, Christianity. It's it's a it's it is it stands alone uh, for so many different reasons. But it, it is not just a pursuit of knowledge and, and knowledge about a book. It is a it is a a mm-hmm. life. It is a, a transformation from who I was to who he is. And um, anyway, going back to. Uh, Hollow rhetoric uh, is is something we certainly want to make sure we avoid. Don't be uh, fascinating. Mm. When Christ returns, and you know, let my eschatology flag fly here a little bit. And my understanding is he's going to set up a literal one thousand year reign here on the earth. And during that period of time, the language is still a language of kingdoms. It's not that it just becomes the mm-hmm. one the one land. But there are still kingdoms that are underneath the the sovereign rule of the king of kings. It'll be fascinating to see when when the God who is love also becomes the king who reigns with a rod of iron. What what national and you know what international politics looks like yeah. when he establishes just rules that the nations have to abide by? That'll be fascinating. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's explore a little bit because it's fun. I know the scriptures don't tell us a whole lot. No, so do those nations not have militaries? I don't think they need them. Uh, justice systems, maybe. Yep. Still a sin nature. Yep. As is uh, revealed for, at the end of that thousand years. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I, Actually, you and I have never talked about eschatology before, not no, at this ooh, level. So that's okay. interesting. Yeah. Uh, I know that's not nearly as interesting. Well, actually, I think it's more interesting. It's just not on focus for our other topics. But no, I, it's I not. think that would be fun to uh, talk about sometime, mm-hmm. perhaps here on the porch. Well, we, we've uh, been uh, monopolizing the airtime here. I haven't so tried to jump we in. Should, uh, I thought fine. he was getting his uh, fantasy football lined up. Oh, I didn't want to interrupt. I can do that now. If you... <laughs> do you want to talk about pot or jabs? <laughs> Since those were your... Drugs. <laughs> I didn't, pot was not is, on is my it, list. That you sent me the, um, oh, the Amazon well, yeah. lobbying to legalize marijuana. Oh, and, well, uh, no, but and the, 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 la, the llama story the is, saving is, us is, from not, COVID. is not about jabs. No, that one's, no. That I mean, it, it is kind of interesting. The VARES charts, one now, I guess it, is. But. Yeah, the VARES charts is definitely, um, that's interesting, but you brought that to my attention this morning, uh, and then I looked a little further into that's it. That's true. So. You did the research. Yeah, I did the research because I did not listen to Mr. Wilson's. Or look at Mr. Wilson's blog post <laughs> this morning. So, do you want to talk about llamas or Amazon? I'm 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 game for for either one. But why are you talking about the llamas? I don't we should talk about the llamas. Yeah. Um, yes. Let me find the story here because <laughs> um, I, I like llamas because I 
grew up in Bolivia and we saw llamas often. Uh, anyway, so yeah, interesting, uh, interesting story about uh, about llamas. Uh, apparently, they have discovered this this llama Fifi. Um, they um, injected it with the uh, spike protein. And is that actually Fifi, Fifi on? Is that a picture of Fifi? See, on, is it just a random llama? Yeah, yeah, I think there's two pictures, and I don't think either of them are Fifi. You probably. know, you're in a bad part of town when your llama's been vandalized. I'm looking yeah. at that picture, know, and the llama yeah. has been spray painted. I don't think that's yeah. <laughs> this is a Test llama. subject A. This is probably oh. it. Is probably <laughs> Fifi. They like labeled her with her or him. Uh, is it a she? You would not want to lose track like this whole study, and then all of a sudden, uh oh, which, which, one, which one of these llamas it? did we? Which uh, one of these llamas did we? <laughs> Somebody go so, spray paint the llamas. So llamas and camels, um, they create what they're calling nanobodies, which are smaller, so more not, rudimentary not nanobots. than not nanobots. Nanobodies, mm. nanobodies, which okay. are smaller than uh, and, and and more rudimentary than than antibodies. Hmm. Um, but works similarly. Just llamas and camels? Do other creatures I, create? I don't do know. We, they were do saying, we create nanobodies? Uh, you know, the article says, and I will quote in a second when I find it here, that nanobodies, a smaller and simpler form of antibody produced by llamas and camels, can effectively target the no novel, novel, whatever, the novel. coronavirus. New research published in the journal... Nature communication has found. Anyway, um, mm. basically what they did is they injected this llama with the spike proteins. Llama didn't get sick at all, but it did trigger its immune response system, and it created uh, uh, these nanobodies. And they've uh, they found that these nanobodies are effective at COVID, and that the idea is that they could uh, create an aerosolized, uh, basically, so you could inhale. Rather than inject uh, these nanobodies, <laughs> and they would go and fight for you. It would. It would Can actually this also work if you just like tick the llama off and it spits in your face. Well, that's yeah. Could, maybe could be <laughs> an option. Awesome. Just, just yeah. to line people up and tick <laughs> off the llama. It'll hey, spit ugly llama. <laughs> and as long as you inhale, go right? Next. As long as you inhale at the same time. <laughs> um, I know that I'm not sure that the nanobodies are in the the saliva or whatever is spit out to the cud. Oh dear, um, maybe not the cud. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Chewing on, you can always tell when a llama is not happy. They start <laughs> the mouth starts kind of like moving around. You can tell they're getting the water ready. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then they're <laughs> that's when you know it's time to make some distance because they're anyway. Um, I'll try. How, how many is times Fifi have you the right? real name of this? Yeah, this yeah, the way yeah, they Fifi's, couldn't come up with a better name. Fifi the llama. Fifi the oh, llama. Um, but they harvested it. Um, and they discovered this. So so anyway, the the th the thought is. Um, this could be a, a good uh, alternative uh, to vaccine uh, or um, treatment because your body would still produce, um, you know, have its own immune response, but you could also uh, inject, not inject, in, inhale basically these these nanobodies, and they would uh, would help immediately to, to fight the the coronavirus as well. Are they better? Do they know? I guess they don't know yet, right? Well, this is brand spanking new stuff. Yeah, um, and this it, is treatment as opposed to prevention. Yes, this is treatment okay. as opposed to prevention. But it did help. It looks like little rodents. Yeah, so I don't think it's Hamsters. hit uh, human trials yet. They took the. No, we live in. But a, here's here's yes. the question: Despite how effective it may be, will it actually ever make it? 
given given the in, the the heavy investment by governments and countries and large <laughs> pharmaceutical companies, and all we needed was llama spit. In uh, in <laughs> yeah, exactly. It all depends on which politician tweets about it first. Mm. Oh, so sure. If mm-hmm. if if somebody if somebody that carries a a, a red voting card they oh, tweet no. about it first and all the blues will say no it's evil and they'll find somebody with an iq of 10 that but, went out and I... kissed a llama and got sick and they're like see <laughs> see see and if it goes the other way you know that's, that's but we already have a we already have a the the officially approved um treatment you know a president has already declared the approved therapeutic treatment to <laughs> Right mm-hmm. is the uh, monoclonal. monoclonal. Well, monoclonal. they were kind of down on that for a while because the guy in Florida liked that. Is that the glass cleaner? They're, I mean, they're setting they're setting up treatment centers. Supposedly, we had the horse dewormer, we had the glass cleaner, and we had the What's bleach. So, and so we funny had, is it well, wasn't what? even a horse dewormer, but it was because uh, a libertarian talked about it on a podcast. So let's find the worst. <laughs> way yeah, to yeah, yeah, like read those people that are. You can't eat that food. It has this one ingredient that's also an ingredient in, right. you know, like industrial adhesive. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's yeah, the periodic table water. elements for <laughs> it's you. It's water. It's in a lot of stuff. Oh, I heard a good joke about water recently. Mm. If you guys, it was it was a middle school joke, but it was pretty good. And it was, um, oh, never mind. I'm going to mess it up. I'll was it from Nathan? Him. No, it was okay. from one of the kids. It had to do with, uh, well, first of all, I think the setup was hilarious. It was like, have you heard the joke about the guy that walks into a science bar? I said, hold on. What is a science bar? <laughs> like, well, it's kind of like a bar for nerds. <laughs> science bar. This sounds I, like Nathan's joke. And I think it went something like this guy walks up with his buddy. The first guy says to the bartender, um, I'd like some H2O. And the other guy says, I'll have some H2O too. Yeah, that was cool. I like the the. So, what's going on with the llama? What's next for this research? Um, I I don't know that it says. It's just talking That's, about. We got llamas down the, the street from here, here, don't we? I thought we saw um down Sullivan, take a right on Bellaterra or something. I think there's llamas out there. Yeah, we should go start a thing on the internet right now that if you see a llama. And you can get it to spit on you. It'll cure you of COVID. And then wait for the TikTok videos to start rolling in. There you go. Yeah. Because that makes it real. Science says. This is not. Yeah. Just so everybody's clear. It's not. That's not. That's not the solution here. No. In in this article. I'm going to tell everybody. Caleb told me. Yes. It is. They extract the nanobodies from the blood of the uh, Fifi and then. And then they, uh, yeah. Caleb they, told me about these Fifi bots that come out of llamas. <laughs> oh, boy. That's what they used to call them. Fifi bodies. So anyway, uh, Public Health England uh, yeah. is, uh, is uh, putting that out. A little Sky News article if somebody wants to go look it up. How many llamas would you see growing up? Like when you were growing up in Bolivia, would they, were they common? Very common? Or? Pretty common. Wow. Yeah, especially, yeah. The family it was of pets, or these are always like oh, often no, pa- yeah, pa- pack animals. Okay, yeah, I mean they're yeah carrying carrying loads like a like a mule or a donkey would. What was the name of the llama in Napoleon Dynamite? Tina. 
Oh, wasn't that the? You guys are not Napoleon Dynamite. I, 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 I thought you were going to say like Emperor's New Groove or something. No, I wasn't sure. No, that was probably an alpaca anyway. I, I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, it may have been an alpaca and Napoleon Dynamite too, but yeah, they're they're similar. Tina, eat your food. Okay. <laughs> well, it wasn't yep. Fifi. It is cool to think just how many things God is sort of like kind of hidden around yeah. in the created realm that we sort of keep stumbling upon. Oh, wow. This plant deals with this massive issue that we've been trying to solve for a long time. Oh, wow. This random critter has this particular property that we didn't know. And it's kind of fun to wonder what else is already out there. Things that are like sci-fi level for us. Like how could we ever imagine a scientist in the lab? What we need to develop is microscopic antibodies to cure us from this. Lama's like, uh, yeah, bro. (laughs) Been doing that since the beginning. Uh, you know, there's (laughs) something of ethnic medicines, Eastern medicines. I know they get scoffed at by modern medicine, but I, well, actually not so much as they used to, but it makes you wonder now. Some of it's probably nonsense. Some of it's scoffable. Yeah. Yeah. But then Mm -hmm. there's other things that, you know, just God has put into the the composition of various plants and bark. Have you seen, by the way, you can go, have you been to any of these in your travels? Um, like Chinese medicines, you can go to shops and, you could tell them what you have, and then they give you like a Ziploc full of bark <laughs> that you're supposed to go make tea out of or something. Sure, there you go. But uh, the locals, they 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 swear by it. Um, I think my dad may have tried it. It was hideous. One, I think some. This was the problem, and maybe you've. I don't know if you get this here, but in Guam, as a pastor there, if anybody, if anybody in the congregation senses that like you have an ache or a pain, or you've talked about, you know, sorry about my voice this mm-hmm. morning, I've got a cold. Afterwards, he would get all kinds of remedies handed to him, mm. all kinds of notes yep. about what he should do and all that. Most of it conflicting, but yeah. So you, you've, you've experienced this, Chris, if you've, uh, the, the instance I was thinking of actually took place in the Ukraine and, uh, I can't probably coughed or sneezed, but somehow one of the, the, the Ukrainian babushkas, uh, who was working at the camp there decided I had a cold. And so she called me aside and sat me down and uh, cup after cup made me drink an entire pot full of smoked prune juice. Oh, that sounds horrible. It was, it was, it was really horrible. <laughs> it was so cured, really, cured really bad. So cured the cold and like derailed your digestive system. <laughs> I, yeah. I went from having a mild cold to really thinking I was going to puke. Um, <laughs> but then uh, one of our camp counselors at the time there, he had brought uh, some those Tylenol and codeine tablets that you used to really get up in Canada. Mm. One of those, and I felt right as rain. <laughs> but, nice. Yeah, so I, I would not actually vouch for smoked prune juice as a therapeutic. Is that another caveat for the show? We've already caveated llama spit. The next one is do not yeah. go boil prune juice. I, I don't know that it was necessarily <laughs> bad for me, and I don't know how they make smoked prune juice, but I can tell you it does taste like a campfire. They probably smoked the prunes and then... And then they just steep it or something. I don't know. Probably for a long time. It was very smoky. Like, just imagine, you know, like getting a little jar of liquid smoke. Like like Lagavulin. And then maybe squeeze a little prune. No, you're talking. What, what, what? what? Scotch. Oh. (laughs) He's using strange tongues over there, but uh, but (laughs) But he's smiling. I I was kind of losing. I was like, oh, yeah, Lagavulin. That's not the expression that was on my face with smoked prune juice. You could smoke your Lagavulin with the prune juice and uh, boil it. Mm -hmm. There you go. That that wouldn't be good. (laughs) I wouldn't waste that. 
I mean, that, that'd be so peaty. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's not peaty like Obama's peaty, though. Uh, this medicine tastes like a Scottish harbor. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we oh, do dear. similar things, though, right? We've got our essential oils. A lot mm. of people, you know, are, are into. I mean, we've got a few of those at home that, you know, got to get your breathe one and you got to get your on guard. And, or if you're into the other the other brand. Do you, Let's see. That's do uh, Doterra. Get the, you get the young. What's the other one? Wait, well, I don't know. Something I was going to ask you. Do you get the Bath and Body Works like deals? Oh. Do they come to your email? Do you oh, hear about yeah. this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what do you think? I got like a million candles on my house right now. <laughs> Every once and in a while, soaps. Nina or Katie will tell me like, you've got to get down there. Like as a favor. Yeah. You got to get down there and you have to be there like a certain day. Oh, yeah. It's one day only sometimes yeah. it's like and i go in there and i'm not even sure where to look but the employees are very helpful they're, they're helpful. like oh sir this mm. is over here in this massive bucket of of little but you know you can you plastics. can just <laughs> click the link now and do it online and shipping's oh. only like five bucks it almost doesn't pay to drive down there and do it myself totally anymore. true i would i would gladly pay the five rather than and it doesn't than. matter what you order it's like five <laughs> bucks for whatever you order i don't know how they figure their shipping model out we're still talk, talking about like Whiskey or something, right? Because I, I no. thought for a second there we got really excited about scented candles from Bath and Body <laughs> no, Works. We're talking Chris, about Bath Scotch. and Body here on the porch. I know that couldn't be happening. So uh, it was Scotch, and now we're, now we're talking about Caleb's Caleb's body care products. Well, we were talking about essential oils, and you were thinking probably your aromatherapy, oh, you know, yes, skincare. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, but you know, we do that. We've got the whole boil your elderberries and making elderberry syrup or whatever it is, you know. Uh, everybody's got their kind of, you know, if you're, uh, if you've got a cold, you know, mm-hmm. squeeze a, a half a lemon and a shot of whiskey and, uh, you know, <coughs> tablespoon of honey That's and, the Irish and heat it up, <laughs> heat it up and drink that. Oh, I've heard that remedy or from all sorts Russian of people. Friends, you just mix up super salty water and then you force your poor sibling to gargle it and swallow it until they puke and then swallow it then too. Be fine. Oh yeah. Until gargle they puke. And spit it out. That's no, tough. Until they, until they puke. That's why those people are no, tough. They're, hard, they're hardcore. Those guys, they're, they're yeah, super. I think at some <laughs> point you just be too, you're just too scared to be sick anymore. And so you're fine. <laughs> there you go. You're cured. Just don't be sick. Keep gargling this till you say you're well. <laughs> yeah, I'm well. Please, That's, please we're, stop. We're off on a rabbit trail. So I'm going to keep going for a second. You, I'm making fun of the candles thing. But one thing that did stick out to me when we were in the Middle East um, hmm. in, in Israel studying was the role that scent played in that culture. And it wasn't the kind of sense that I grew up with, you know, like American food, American candles. Ours tend to be, I don't know, shallow, <laughs> shallow smells. Hmm. But there were things, just the, the incenses, the, the perfumes that were just a part of life over there. They're just often... Something burning in the corner, something, mm-hmm. something out that just that had these uh, very d- deep and just even a, maybe it was because I was in a land that was so old it just immediately became associated in my mind as ancient smells. Like they mm. just uh, it, it added a, a a whole different layer to environments. I'm just not used to walking into a a room that's really characterized not by not by some just kind of cheap perfume of somebody who got their aftershave or their whatever walking by, but just walking to a room that just has a, this very, not overwhelming, but deep kind of almost ancient perfumey um, incense smell. And that was kind of cool. That's uh, interesting. It made me think in the West, we don't, I don't think we really value our schnozzes. Now being Armenian, it may be that just, uh, you know, Middle Eastern schnozzes are more, I value scent. <laughs> more, for more formidable. I, I mean, uh, yeah, exception I, right here. Yeah, but, uh, I mean. But, uh, yeah, just, it did, that did strike me. 
Did I tell you guys about the project I did once uh, where it was, it was a technology you to project? It down. Okay. Yeah, the, it <laughs> was done a, a few projects, I think. There was a, yeah, it has been a few. There was a guy that I met through a, a thing that I was a part of and um, <laughs> down in California. Anyway, this guy, he had his, there was this thing we were part of and then he had, he had his day job. So his day job, he was involved brother. Yeah. Anyway, they, the family was involved in the casino business, mm. which mm. ordinarily I, I'm, I don't um, associate with, but that this particular casino, it was this large one in Vegas. And, um, and they had this problem. They had this major iconic feature that drew hundreds of thousands of people to the property every year, but it was, the, the, this big feature was far away from the revenue producing part mm. of the property. Right. And so they, they had this problem where they had this amazing feature, world known people, you know, it's in movies and mm -hmm. stuff and, and on TV shows, but all these people that would come would come and enjoy the feature and then just kind of move on. They didn't spend any money in the casino. They didn't spend any money in all the shops. And so they, they, um, he knew just by, by reputation, they, they hadn't built it to be a public service. No, no, they didn't. Oh, okay. uh, they, Surprise. And they weren't maintaining. It probably has an extreme uh, maintenance cost too. So, um, so by reputation, he'd heard that I, I kind of dealt in problem solving and, um, he's, he wanted to know if there was a, just, just take a look at it. And so we mm -hmm. took a little look, look at it and, um, and he was expecting a technology solution. Didn't know what, and by the way, we had all kinds of ideas, but where we ended up in terms of a recommendation for concept had to do with smells and it's cause, um, smell has, mm -hmm. is one of the more powerful, um, triggers for, for memory mm -hmm. and all mm -hmm. sorts of things. Say, yeah. Isn't it the strongest sense connected to memory we call? Yeah. And, and so we ultimately ended up, we called it a trail of trail of breadcrumbs, but they were aromas. And the idea was that an aroma would draw people in more and more, um, can't go in, hmm. won't, won't spend the time to go into it here, but it was, again, the aroma was huh. the powerful trigger hmm. and, uh, and, and the, I, the whole concept was around without even really realizing it, I kept moving you, the person, the Mark would keep <laughs> moving forward, being drawn in by a, a, a sequence of aromas that, um, that eventually they found themselves in, I don't know, I didn't go this far with it, but in front of a slot machine, Oh, look at this. I don't know. <laughs> but the whole idea was to use the power mm. of aroma. So um, do you, looking back, do you feel great satisfaction in knowing how many people you have plunked <laughs> down in front of a slot machine who uh, are following their nose? Well, what, what became interesting about it is, you know how we generated the sequence of aromas, at least at least conceptually. We didn't mm -hmm. build anything. This is all concept. But we generated the sequence based upon the target demographic. Oh, interesting. And the kinds of smells that would be most um, enticing to the target demographic. And what were those smells? Oh, uh, well, I can, the better, the better way, uh, answer is what, and this will tell you something about the casino industry. The target demographic happened to be female from a certain age to a certain age with a certain kind of education. Um, there was a quantity of divorces in their background. It wasn't even like a whole number. It was like 1.3, <laughs> which I always find mm. hilarious mm. in demographic <laughs> models. So <laughs> the current husband doesn't know, but he's 0.7 away from uh, That's right. Goals. He's a third oh, of the no. way there. But, oh, um, no. you know, interestingly enough, that concept, which kind of in, in a very, very niche area put us 
put us on the map just for coming up with it as technologists, um, got us a call from a very large, uh, what would they even call themselves? An international brand of, uh, we'll just say shopping malls. Okay. And they had a real problem. Um, their problem was, this is fun. I mean, probably boring you guys, but this is the fun part of work. They, the problem they had was that um, their target demographic and they had it dialed all the way down to, they actually had a, a character and, and she had a name. By the way, it's interesting. These target demos are often female for these, for these kinds of uh, purveyors of various products and services. Most, most um, acquisitions in America are targeted towards women, correct? Aren't they the major economic purchaser? That's exactly right. In they, America? They make uh, on the order, I'm not in that world anymore, but they make somewhere on the order of at least 60% of the financial decisions in a family. And mm. so when you look at a consumer-based economy, you want to tie into the person that's making the majority right. of the financial decisions. By the way, it doesn't mean that the that the man, assuming it's a husband and wife uh, situation, doesn't mean he's making 40%. There are some financial decisions that neither one of them really have a choice in, mortgages, utilities, mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. Wow. So so it's pretty significant. Yeah. And, um, back to this 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 international operator, developer, owner of, of shopping malls, their target demo here. And this is fascinating how much they knew. <laughs> they knew that, um, and without giving, you know, these people, they, they appreciate their privacy. So I'll kind of give very similar info, but they knew that if a certain kind of person, their target, and we'll just call her Tina because we called <laughs> Tina the, the llama a little bit ago. Um, they knew if Tina was on property, for 45 minutes, they would make 85 bucks. I'm not giving exact figures, but these are somewhere mm -hmm. in the nice. ballpark. They knew if they could get Tina to remain on property for an excess of an hour, she would spend 135 bucks. And so that was the, that was the problem. How do we get that extra 15 minutes? There was minutes? a target number there. How do we get 20 some minutes of Tina's time? And, um, and so we came up with a variety of technology solutions to make it that much more fun. By the way, something else factored in on this, and I thought this was the this this angered me actually. It was the height of manipulation that um, restaurant wait times are great for business. Tell me that isn't infuriating. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Mr. Klontz, or you know, mm -hmm. a, a table party, you know, for six people. Oh, that'll be um, even if your table could be ready in twenty five minutes. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's good for business if it takes you 50 minutes to get your table, um, not for the restaurant, but for the just, operator of the property just establishment. Okay. And then people are, you know, and by the way, it's good for business too. If I can text your phone, it's, it's really convenient for me, but it's good for business if I can text you. And then I've got a variety of breadcrumb trails there. You catch that theme there that are leading you into the back into the property. So the, the text makes me feel untethered. I can walk away. Yep. And, uh, and by the way, I almost end up appreciating that I, my wait time's 50 minutes because it allowed me to go down and buy a purse or whatever else. So mm. guys, it, this may lead to my jaded view of the world because so much of it is theater. It's staged. It's so much of it is calculated to, sure. to get you to part with your 
hard-earned money. <laughs> yep. Boy, we went off topic there, but that's fun stuff. <laughs> Be happy to tell you more tricks of the trade in a future episode. <laughs> <laughs> we need to do an episode. Nate's lecture, 101 ways you're being manipulated every day and like it. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And you enjoy it because you feel, hey, it's so much more convenient. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, it yeah. is. <laughs> it does underscore there is a very fine line between service and um and taking advantage of somebody and that that can that can invade so many spaces i think even with our spouses uh, there can be an angle to our kindness Uh, with our children we can manipulate their obedience um with our with our churches i mean there's so many different places where it's really important that we are careful that even what uh, those around us perceive to be the the charitable things we're doing, the kind things we're doing, the good stuff that we're doing is not in fact on our part a calculated manipulation of some sort towards an, an end. Amen. That's, I got to say manipulation for me probably because I live close to it professionally, not so much now, but for a long time, it wasn't even manipulation. We looked at it as UX, user experience. Mm-hmm. How can we make it easier for people to get the things that they probably want? Yes. And, mm-hmm. uh, and when and that's the different web- than UI, like people hear yes, UI a lot, yes. user interface, mm-hmm. but it's the UX guys that are... F- Fascinating because they all have the psychology degrees. Well, I used to describe, <laughs> I used to describe my work, um, regardless of what clientele it was, people would say, what do you do? And I used to describe it this way and I, I really don't anymore. Although it's probably there is, uh, you know, there's, if you can think of, of two, two, um, speeding trains, shall we say, mm-hmm. um, one of those trains is psychology and this, and the other one, and they're, they're not going straight at each other, but they are going to intersect at some point. The other one, so one of them's psychology, the other one's technology. And what ends up happening is when you slam those two, not head on, but you slam them in at certain angles, all sorts of interesting opportunities <laughs> go spiraling out of that. And our role is to find out which ones are valuable, which ones are rubbish, which ones are ahead of their time, because we want to table those mm-hmm. and keep track of them. But at the end of the day, you're trying to facilitate an experience. And if you've ever, and, and the reality is guys like me, uh, when we go to theme parks, we actually tend to enjoy the park more than the rides because you're walking through this tightly scripted, tightly organized experience that someone or some company has spent literally billions of dollars creating and, um, and it's meant to give you a magical experience and it's kind of, it's, it's fun. Right. Yeah. But I will say living in that world makes you it probably for all of us, a, uh, gives you a hypersensitivity to the f- even feeling like you're being manipulated. It becomes a pet peeve actually after a while. And there are times when someone who means the very best will say, Hey, I'm going to let you come stack these tables. And just the word let you're like, okay, hold on a second. If you just <laughs> ask me to help you, I'm happy, but now I'm ticked yes. off because yep. you said you're going to let me, I know I'm being <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> yep, I hear you. So parents, don't do that to your kids. They're smart. They know what's going on. Do not do that. <laughs> well, this episode's probably getting a little long in the tooth. Do you guys yeah. have any closing comments you wanted to make? Otherwise, you probably should land the plane. We bounced we'll around to, all over. Uh, we'll it. have to bump the metaverse off one more week. But, it'll, uh, wait. It'll, it'll wait. It'll wait. <laughs> it'll still be there. Any parting thoughts from you, Caleb? Parting thoughts. Parting thoughts. What about the ancient aromas? I want to get your take on that. Because mm-hmm. you have a finely tuned palate, which is closely related to, t- to <laughs> scent. I, I normally do. Smell. Right now, it's still 
about 50 percent so oh, still yes. still coming back from the uh Hopefully it's getting better. You needed some one nostril you tied behind his back to get you through I that. Need, I know. I need something. I probably do. I need a nebulizer with some, you know, with some of uh, these nano bots, nanoparticles. Nanobots. Nanobodies. No, no, I don't. Nanobodies. Yeah, I don't want uh, nanobots. I don't want anybody checking. <laughs> Bill Gates go. would probably like to inject me with some nanobots. But probably. I don't want, I don't want those. Um, <laughs> no, it is interesting. It's fascinating uh, manipulation stuff. I just way in the touch on that, even in the furniture industry, for example, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. knowing that, that the majority of people turn right when they walk into a store, um, those sorts of things. It's just interesting to think about layout and presentation. Um, you want to give people a sense of discovery. So you, you want to make sure they can't see all the way back. You want some sort of a barrier. I mean, there's all those things, oh. some sort of a display that you catches people's this? eyes. I'm just visualizing your store. Well, of course I turned right because be. the door was all the way to the well, left. I know, you know? I know. So, but I did well, like the sense of discovery you had in there though. Not just we had a lot of stuff two little there. rooms with little nuggets sure, of, yeah. of cool treasure. Yeah. And coffee. Well, yeah. But I mean, so like, at least when I was there, a big part of the reason we had a lot of little decor items was not that we made a lot of money on them. Right. And we didn't sell a ton of them. And it was tedious kind of to, to price them and everything else. But it gave people a sense of, the, again, that whole thing, the longer they stay in the store. They're not shopping at another store while they're, while they're in our store, for one thing. And there's a greater chance that they've invested time there. They'll find something that they, they at least will settle on, if not like, and then, uh, you know, and then buy. You're so, talking about retention in the web world. It's retention. Well, sure. It's yeah. engagement. How fascinating. I know. And then your loyalty. Well, well, Chris, we know that you have important things to tend to after our recording here. Unlike so. you guys that uh, don't have anything important going on in your lives. I just need to bum a ride off somebody. Cars in the shop. <laughs> Talk about another manipulation. Once we stop recording, I'll tell you about my latest irritation with uh, with the Ford Motor Company. Uh-oh. Oh, dear. Yep. Well, Chris, I guess yep. you ought to sign us off. You intro to so there beautifully. There we go. All right. Yes, we do. Thank you for joining us on this particularly meandering uh, journey. And uh, yeah, we're thankful that you do spend that time with us. We, we enjoy the opportunity that we have as men to talk about these things. And it's a privilege that anybody else would want to listen <laughs> and uh, to my kids out there, love you guys. And I know that's a big part of why we do this is just a chance to share these things with our families and our friends as well. Um, did want to make sure you knew if you wanted to, you could share our podcast with others. And if, if you love all good things, you will share our podcast with your friend. <laughs> Only if you hate puppies, would well, you not <laughs> like and subscribe to, wait a minute. My manipulation hairs are going off, but so are the comedy ones. Yeah, so yeah, it's, it's just wonderful. Yes. <laughs> yep. If you care about America. Exactly. Yes. Anytime I see anything, it's like, if you actually love Jesus, you will like, comment, so forward, whatever. It's with like 10 friends. That is a way to guarantee I hit delete no, as fast as I can. But, uh, you know, thank you guys for joining us. Uh, it is a privilege to be able to be part of this world that God has put together. Uh, There's a lot of things going on and some of them are scary. Some of them are funny. Some of them are intriguing and hopefully we can enjoy all those plot lines because we know the author and we're confident how the story ends. And so live today in the light of who he's made you and where he's put you. And with the optimism that comes from being children of the King. 